It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Hey, welcome to another episode of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, based in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving you from the Lake Country and beyond online at livingworth.com. Got a great show on the way today as we look back and analyze uh, some some past uh, commentary and also past episodes here on the show and uh, kind of highlight our ESG conversation uh, once more here at the outset to clear up some great feedback and questions uh, that Brian's gotten over the last month or so. We're also going to talk about Mexico is the new China question mark exclamation point. We'll get Brian's breakdown on that conversation. And are you a grumbler? a DIY dabbler, or the ideal client. We're going to look into some different profiles of potential clients that Brian works with and talk about maybe different planning challenges depending on your personality and your profile. So that'll be kind of fun to dive into as well on the episode today. Brian, I can't wait to break it all down and I hope you're doing well. Oh, doing great, doing great. Everything's well here. we got kids back in school and I have had a big new advancement or development on the pizza front. Uh, ooh, I actually had a pizza item for you today as well. So what, what's your what's your pizza development? Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll share here. So a, a buddy of mine who I taught how to make my pizza dough recipe, he's taken it and run with it. He's making sourdough breads and all ooh, kinds of stuff. Nice. But he ordered a new sourdough starter culture from the Middle East. It came from Bahrain. Okay. And it's allegedly from the Garden of Eden. It's supposed wow. to be the most sour of all sourdoughs out there. And uh, I put it to the test and holy cow, if you ever wanted proof that it's always possible to up your game and make things a little better, I'm almost embarrassed I didn't find this myself. Wow. Garden of Eden sourdough starter. If that's not a like selling point and a uh, little nugget for somebody, that's that's pretty awesome. I think that's called puffery. You know, it's, it's like one of these claims <laughs> that you can't quite right. prove or disprove, sure. but it sounds great. Hey, uh, it's pretty cool sounding. Well, I've been seeing nothing, my friend, but ads for the affordable pizza oven out there. This, this uni, I can't remember if you mentioned this on, on a recent mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. but the this uni is like everywhere now. I'm seeing it on every TV channel I watch. It's all over the internet, and I even have like ads tracking turned off. So these are just organic ads somehow reaching me in most of these places. So I think it is kind of sweeping the nation. There is the, these home ovens, these gas-powered ones, the, the little more portable and smaller, have come to a price point where they're very affordable. And I, I do think there is like a general movement in, into that area, I guess, uh, kind of like the green egg and smokers and, mm, and you know, pizza ovens are having their heyday. And a funny story, we were at uh, a group meeting on Amazon prime day and Gosney makes the rock box. That's the one I've got at home. And it, it's very, very comparable and similar to the, uh, to the ones you mentioned, but they were having a prime sale for, I think it was three ninety nine for the pizza oven. And I had three people in, in my immediate group purchased one on the spot and then they told people about it and I told some people about it. I think I sold a half a dozen pizza ovens in about nice. an hour on Prime Day because everybody had kind of wanted one but that price point was just enough to tip them in favor of doing it. You you needed a, an affiliate link so you could have earned some commission on on those uh referrals. Exactly. I was yeah, I should come up with something like that. <laughs> now, I hate to tell everybody that uh the buying the pizza ovens the easy part 
mastering the dough is where the magic is. There you go. So yeah, it's not not going to make you an expert out of the gate, but at least makes the uh, the the skill a little bit more affordable entry point for folks. So that's never a bad thing. Get more people into the hobby. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, you know, it's still fun. And if you get the pizza doughs at the uh, grocery store, Trader Joe's, whatever, they'll, they'll work. They don't they don't want to poo poo it too hard. Amazing, I love it. Well, there you go. Get your uh, get your oven for a good affordable price nowadays, and that starter culture from the Garden of Eden, and you're in good shape. You're 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 on your way to being a pizza master at that point. The the, the question, Walter, is when are you going to get yours? This is a good question. Yes, yes, very true. <laughs> Maybe I need to put that on the list for uh, for Christmas this year. I'll, I'll drop some hints to come. You'll have to come to pizza school first. That's right. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to jump the gun. I need to. I need to see it in action first. Perhaps. Love it. Well, hey, let's dive into the content today and uh, get into this, Brian, because I think this is exciting. Um, because so many people have responded to your last episode, we talked all about, of course, the ESG investing and talked a little bit more in depth about um, you know the DEI and woke capitalism uh, that you kind of uh, went into detail uh, last time around. And you've had some great feedback over the last couple of weeks. It's interesting. It was Probably the single podcast that I've gotten the most feedback from, even more so than the conversation that we had uh, with Jamal and Mike about modern monetary theory. That was actually a popular one, too. If if people want to go back and review that one, it's, it's still relevant. But uh, yeah, I think the ESG and uh, I did want to clear up and got some feedback on the focus that I had on the LGBTQ community and push because a lot of the examples I gave were the ones that were in the news most recently. Anyway, it was Target, uh, a little bit. We touched on on Disney a little bit, and then obviously Bud Light being the big one. And I just want to make it very clear: I have nothing against any of these communities. I am not for sexism, racism, sin stocks. You can, you know do what you want or not what, what you want. And I do have uh, a few clients or children of, of, of clients who are members of these communities. So I, I know firsthand what legal issues and rights and protections and fairness is needed for w- whether it's the LGBTQ, if it's gender, if it's race, pollution on the uh, environmental front. Obviously, I, I'm against pollution. I want clean air and water. So I'm not against any of these things. And I just want to do do one more lap to make that abundantly clear and refine my point and say that it's possible to be a good corporate citizen, provide the right benefits. It's good to have legal structures that provide the same estate planning and inheritance protections legal powers of of a spouse in medical emergencies. We, we could go on and on about why these things are important. The point I was trying to make was, if you're adopting this at the corporate level because it's faddish or because there's this ESG score that you're trying to hit, or you think that you're going to get you're going to resonate with your market by touching on that, man, it can go both ways. And for Nike, the social justice thing has worked very well for them. Uh, but the Bud Light is an example of, of where it 
really, really, really backfired. So all I'm saying is, is if you're investing in companies or if you're managing companies and you, you want to incorporate this, uh, you might want to think about whether this is something that you're offering and providing and supporting in your functional fundamental business and, and for your employees and, and things like that. Or is this something you're really trying to put out there in your, in your marketing and messaging? Be mindful of how that could potentially backfire with your, with your core audience. Cause it has cost, uh, it's cost some of these companies a lot and their the intentions were probably good. And I, I support, you know, good, fair, equal treatment of everyone. And if you go back and listen to the past episodes, you will hear that I am an, you know, like I said, I'm an equal opportunity, you know, basher of bad business strategies and ideas around, around the ESG. So touchy issues for sure, but I just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, appreciate that uh, clarity and uh, you talk, uh, talking about and tackling uh, what can be a tough subject for many to address, honestly. And uh, yeah, don't don't just follow the fad for the fad's sake. Make sure that you have those good reasonings, motivations behind it and aligns with your financial goals. We're talking about your life savings after all. So just make sure it's not based on fads and uh, is, is a more solid plan for yourself. Okay, very good. Uh, Mexico and China have both been in the news as we transition to our second topic of the day and uh, talking about, you know, the last several months as well. Uh, recession, recovery from that, hitting it, not hitting it. What are those numbers? All that good stuff. So what, what's sort of the uh, the news update of the day? Yeah, let me just start with uh, the market recovery that we've seen so far this year, because last year was a pretty brutal year. Uh, begin to turn around the end of last quarter. But in January, would you or would you not have uh, predicted that this this market was going to be moving in a positive direction? Well, everybody was out, you know, squawking about to, you know, recession on the horizon, you know, just how bad things were going to get. And, and here we are middle of the year and the market has had a very nice surge recovery. Growth stocks, you know, have come back the most because they got hurt the most value stocks got hurt the least. And so they're, they've recovered or they're not up as much as growth stocks, but the trajectory that we seem to be on is that of a recessionless recovery. And how do you map that? How do you calculate that is, is always open for debate, but where we have come out of bear markets and the down market we've had over the previous, you know, year and a half, the, the severity of the bear market and the track that it's coming back up on seems to match that of previous bear markets where there was not a recession. Now, you've heard, you know, past performances, no indication of future success, tax tag and title not included, dealer retains all incentives and all that stuff. But the, the uh, trajectory out of this bear market that we had maps very nicely to other bear markets where we did we ended up not having a, a recession. So from where we sit right now, it looks like maybe we're going to avoid a severe recession. And uh, the joke I made last November when I was sitting with a group of advisors, I made the joke that, oh, we're going to have a, the Fed's going to engineer a soft landing and the market's going to go back up and everybody's going to have their best year ever. Uh, I said it sort of as a joke. It's kind of what's happening. And um I hope it continues. There's some counter views out there. I don't know if you know Michael Burry, the author of the, or he was the yeah. one of the central figures in the Big Short. 
big fan. Good character in the movie and uh, an engaging person overall. Yeah, well, he's he's got a very you know deep quantitative read on things, and he. he called the market wrong at the beginning of the year. Uh, but at the moment he's taken a huge short position against the market. I don't know what his time frame is for that. And Warren Buffett's sitting on a pile of cash. So make what you want from that. But, um, the, the economy seems to be recovering the, in the midst of that, you know, we had the inflation. Well, what's happening is a lot of the manufacturing and trade is moving back to this hemisphere. And so it'll be interesting to watch whether the U.S. markets and the international markets, how those behave. But I've talked in the past about the demographic collapse in China. You know, they've got this cratering of, of uh, population at the lower ages, which could impact their workforce. That could impact their uh, consumption-driven economic growth. Uh, there's just not going to be the people buying and doing the things that... Um, that you need for a true growth model economy. So, so let, let's look at the uh, GDP and uh, goods imported from China. In, the, in Q1 and Q2 of this year, the U.S. goods imported from China were uh, 13% of the total. That is the lowest level in 20 years. So for all the time that we've spent talking about China taking all the jobs and taking over manufacturing, and, and they you know, largely have, but we're starting to see that now turn. And where did it turn? It turned to Mexico. Mexico has now replaced China as our number one trade partner. Canada's number two, and China has slipped to number three. And that's very interesting because that's the basic theme that and it was Peter Zion that was really talking about and predicting that that we were I was uh, quoting in the past that now seems to be bearing out. We're we've got a great uh, trade agreements with Mexico and Canada. They're great trade partners. They're geographically located uh, near near us, and the competitiveness of the labor force in Mexico is lower cost better skilled, and then you add in that geographic uh, convenience component, I think you're just going to continue to see this this trend accelerate and, and move forward. And so I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate that into uh, investment themes. And obviously, I, I have always avoided investing in China because it's very opaque. Uh, they're, they're having this you know, demographic collapse. They have printed money and and uh, expanded their money supply far worse than the U.S. has. If you map the expansion of the U.S. money supply and uh, Europe, China, and uh, Japan, China has expanded their money supply at, at a rate that eclipses the other three uh, by a significant margin. I don't know the exact percentage, but uh, suffice to say it's it's massive. They've got a heavy debt-driven economy, and they've got this uh, huge real estate bubble, and they're very export-dependent. So if that switches and things continue, you definitely want to avoid China, maybe even uh, Asia as a whole, and be more selective about which countries you're investing in. Uh, there could be a lot of good things happening in uh, Southeast Asia, for example, or India. But man, Mexico, even Canada, things happening in this hem hemisphere it's a very interesting story to follow, and uh, we'll definitely keep track of it and keep people posted on it. 
Pretty neat to see that and the implications just from this financial piece certainly reverberate down the line. So uh, really interesting to hear your takeaways on that, Brian. If you happen to have any questions, by the way, for Brian about this material that we're talking about today, I know we're covering a lot of different ground on the show. Don't hesitate to reach out. Livingworth.com is the website. That's livingworth.com. And we'll link to that in the show notes of today's episode. You can contact us through the website. All right, Brian. So we also mentioned that on today's episode, we'd have a little bit of fun and talk about some advisor profiles or client profiles, even maybe the the best way uh, to take this direction to kind of, I don't know, not necessarily put people in boxes intentionally, but I'm sure you face a lot of different personalities, a lot of different, um, you know, ways that people approach investing, finance, their money and planning for the future. Well, and last time on the last podcast, if, if people missed it, we profiled a few advisor types uh, and stereotypes of, of people that you find out there. And so Andrea and I were just talking and we thought, well, we could do client profiles and uh, talk about some of the different types of people, types of investors, how open they are to the planning and, and understand the comprehensiveness of what we do. And so we have come up with uh, a few client profiles and this may help people decide if, uh, if they're one of them, if they're a good fit for us, and we'll we'll talk about what our ideal client looks like to give people an idea of if you know maybe if maybe they're a right fit uh, or not for us. All right, so uh, to get things started, Brian, you want to start with the uh, we'll call them the great expectations client. Yeah, I I love these people because they have such high confidence in my capabilities. I think they think I can solve all their problems, control the market and do it all, uh, you know, reduce their taxes, get them the maximum benefits of everything. And these are people that think we can do more than we actually can. There are a lot of things we can control. There's a lot of uh, you know, strategies that we deploy. But at the end of the day, we don't predict the market, we don't control the market, and we can't deliver you know, magical results. But we do know how markets work. We have strategies for dealing with volatility. And, and sometimes there's an education process that can, can bring these, these people around to becoming very good clients. But uh, at, at the end of the day, there, there has to be a realistic understanding and expectation of, of what we can control, what we can't control, but more importantly, how to manage, identify those two and then manage them accordingly. Yeah, expectations are important in anything in life, and managing those expectations just leads to a better relationship. So an advisor who helps someone that's in that category reach those reasonable expectations uh, would certainly be valuable, I would imagine. Uh, what about the grumbler? Indeed. Who's the grumbler? Yeah, we get a, get a few of these from time to time. Uh, not many, or a lot of times they, they don't last around here because uh, these are people that are hyper-focused on... The negative, they maybe have lost sight of the, the big picture and the positive in, in their life, uh, not to stereotype or characterize, but uh, the grumpy old man that maybe spends too much time watching the opinionated news or uh, following all the conspiracy theories on, on Facebook or something like that. And they just uh, they almost seem miserable because they're they're negative about everything. Uh, they, you know, fees are maybe a, a big issue for them and they don't see the value in what we do or they're, uh, you know, just more focused on, on the negative of the world. And there is plenty of that, 
But again, uh, I like to have people turn and focus on the positive, what's going well in life, what do you want to get out of life? Uh, you know, fo again, focus on those things that, that you can control. And uh, if, if you do spend too much time focused on this negative and um, that does have an impact on your likability and your well-being and uh, honestly, I think your health and, and uh, enjoyment of longevity. So grumblers tend to not, uh, not, not last too long around here or uh, maybe we can spot them at the, at the beginning and kind of steer them in the, in the right direction. So uh, that's, that's, that's one we run into from time to time. Yeah, it's important, I think, to uh, focus not just on the finance part, but also the the attitude and how you're going to spend your time in retirement and what you're going to be thinking about and spending your time. And are you going to have to track the stock market every day? And if, if there's a bad day in the market, are you going to then have a bad day in retirement? That's not, no way to live. And the grumbler seems like somebody who would fit into that profile a little bit. And so there are solutions out there for that. So you don't have to live like that in retirement. So that's good to know. All right, so you have the folks that have the great expectations. You've got the grumblers that come in, and we we lovingly call them the grumblers. Still great folks, of course. Uh, right, what about right, the, right. So, the the DIY dabbler? Who is the DIY dabbler? I so I get a lot of DIYers. They they still want to have their hands on a little bit of stuff. They want to trade some individual stocks, and overwhelming. So, so what we'll do is we'll set up their core investment strategy, and then we'll set up a self directed account where they can go trade stocks. And yeah, maybe in the short term, they might have one better year than me. And then I, I have to, you know, hear a little bit about how much better they did than me. And then the next year things, you know, the wheels fall off the bus and, and pretty soon that account starts dwindling and they're like, oh, maybe I should just give this back to you and let you handle all of this. <laughs> uh, or they get tired of it and, and realize that it is, is a lot trickier. But once in a while, you will get the person who makes a lucky trade into uh, a particular sector or a couple of stocks, and it all of a sudden just eclipses the, the, the results that they're getting from their more you know, traditional diversified portfolio. And they get convinced that now they're smarter than me and uh, have had this happen, eh, not a lot, but maybe, maybe once or twice. And all of a sudden, they they don't see the value in what we're doing. They're they're missing the the diversification, the tax flow, the tax planning, uh, cash flow, the like. And and uh, you just get focused on this one lucky idea. And over time, a lot of times those things come back down to earth, and they get a a, a dose of reality. And so, getting them to recognize that they got lucky, as opposed to just being truly good is my challenge in trying to get people to take a little bit of money off the table when they've, when they've had these big wins, even if it is something like uh, Apple or something that continues to grow and, and compound and w would have been best to hold over the long term, You just never know. Th those things can, can come and go and uh, you, you don't want to leave all of your exposure to uh, one lucky trade and convince yourself that all of a sudden you're smarter than everybody else. Yeah, that can that can almost be one of the most dangerous uh, things on here is to have a big win, right? Which sounds counterintuitive to have a big win and have that be a dangerous thing. But if that feeds that DIY mindset to take on more and more risk and more on your own shoulders, uh, and, and now instead of playing with the fun money, you're playing with your life savings, that can become uh, a bit stressful. And uh, the uh, DIY dabbler could often turn into the to the uh, grumbler, I would imagine. 
Brian. These these can it's entirely can possible. Convert, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if that luck turns around quickly, then yeah, the personality can too. So if we were to paint perhaps a profile of an ideal client or somebody that would match really well with you and Living Worth and the way that you guys do business, the way that you help people prepare for retirement, I'm curious, what would that profile end up looking like? Yeah, so th- these are great people. They're doing interesting things with their lives. Uh, they, they've got a big you know, vision or they're doing cool stuff and always have stories to talk about and things like that. But the main thing is, is they're delegators. They realize that there's a lot to this and they don't necessarily want it to consume their retirement. They, they didn't retire to you know, take on another job of you know, managing their portfolios, keeping up with tax law changes, you know, trying to figure out how to uh, generate cash flow and, and, and pick stocks and things like that. They're, they're very appreciative of the advice. So a lot of times you know, we, we can have good discussions about what's best, what their opinion is. And a lot of the, the ideal clients will come in with ideas themselves. And sometimes I, I learn things or find new things uh, from their perspective, but they don't uh, you know, get convinced like the, the DIY dabbler that they're now somehow suddenly better. It's, it's, a, it's a complimentary mutual uh, relationship. And it, it is always good to have an extra set of eyes on what's happening in the world or maybe something from their industry or, or their perspective. And uh, if that adds to the portfolio or gives us an investment opportunity, it's not something we're going to put all of their portfolio in. We, we, we've managed to keep things in a, a healthy perspective. But yeah, these are, these are just interesting people. They're appreciative. They uh, add to the conversation and they're, you're usually doing something interesting that, you know, we, we have discussions beyond just the portfolio on how to you know, maximize their enjoyment, maximize their life, their relationships. And you know, at the end of the day, they're just nice people. Very good. Uh, it's a great recap of uh, who would be a great fit to work with Brian Doe and the team at Living Worth. And if you feel like you fit into that profile, that personality, and might be a good fit to work with Brian, uh, we'll think a little bit more about that. And here's some ways for how you can get in touch if you're looking to take control, perhaps, of your financial future, but maybe you don't know exactly where to start. Well, if you talk to Brian Doe, he's a seasoned, certified financial professional with uh, more than 20 years of expertise. He can be a trusted partner in your planning process. Whether you want to create a solid retirement income or get that expert guidance on optimizing your investments or avoid those costly tax traps that we've done many episodes about in the past. Brian's going to have you covered on all those different angles. As a CFP professional, he meets the highest standards of both education, training, and ethics, always putting your best interests first. You can take advantage of a complimentary 15-minute call with Brian, get some clarity about those financial goals, and prepare for a more secure tomorrow. All you have to do is call today, and we'll pave the way to financial success together. You can call 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. Or just go to livingworth.com and click book a call. Again, that's at livingworth.com. And that contact information is in the description of today's show, so you can find it easily. Brian, thanks for all your help on the episode today and covering so much ground. Greatly appreciate it. And I know you'll have something interesting on tap for us to discuss next time. Sounds great. I'll look forward to it. All right. Very good. Cook up some more pizzas in between now and then. All right. Try and get your hands on that that. Garden of Eden sourdough starter. That's right. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. Let me know what you think. See what you can do with it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. 
Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.